Hello and welcome. I'm Laura Champion. I am a fundraising strategist at Blakely, and I had the honor of being the education chair for Congress this year. Hey, this is Anne of Charitably Speaking, and I was the chair this year of AFP Congress. You know, a big question a lot of us have is how to get better at digital. So in this session, we asked a really name brand organization, the Red Cross, to really dive deep into one digital campaign and really give us all the scoop on how to be good at this. So it is possible and you can uh, get uh, so many tips and tricks from this session and beyond. We hope you listen to all of the different uh, podcasts that are dropping in your stream from Congress and uh, enjoy the show. And join us at Congress next year. See you soon. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I hope everybody's having a great morning so far. Got some uh, coffee and rehydrated. This is a session I'm very excited about. Uh, I'm Laura Champion. I'm the chair of uh, the education this year uh, at Congress. So if you have any feedback about this session or any session or Congress in general, please come and tell me. I don't care if it's good, bad, or ugly. So please come and see me. Uh, this is going to be the best session uh, of all of Congress, though, of course, because you're here right now. Um, and I'm really excited uh, to have uh, practitioners who are doing real work in the field to tell us, you know, what's working, what's not working. So this morning we're welcoming Emily Chan, Manager of Digital Design and Creative Strategy, uh, Colin Smith, Manager of Digital Writing and Content Strategy, and Doug Wayne, Director of Digital and Creative Solutions, all from the Canadian Red Cross. So let's give them a warm welcome. Thank you. I'm just going to check the level. It sounds okay. Okay, great. Thanks very much for the introduction. Um, I'm going to let the last uh, couple of people sit down. So yeah, the title of our, our, of our presentation is The Gift That Keeps On Giving, Unwrapping the Canadian Red Cross Online Holiday Campaign. Um, before we get into that, I'd like to just get like a bit of a sense of who's in the room with us, and it's going to require a bit of physical activity. So uh, bear with me. There's just a few questions we'll need you to answer by standing up. So um, if you could, please stand up if you're not from Toronto. Okay. A few visitors. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, and if you're able to, stand up. Uh, if you've been working in uh, nonprofits or fundraising for more than five years. Wow. Oh, wow. Cool. Okay. Great. Um, stand up if you've been working at nonprofits or fundraising for less than one year. Hey, welcome. Okay, welcome. <laughs> um, stand up if you haven't started your holiday shopping yet. Okay, that's a 50-50 split, that's pretty good. Um, okay, stand up if you are part of your quote-unquote digital team and or work with them closely. Okay, that's great. That's more than we thought might be here from their digital team, so that's good, good, to, um, good to see. Um, next one, stand up if you've made a donation to another charity or nonprofit uh, this year. Let me go back a slide. There. Um, that's great. Great to see so many donors in the audience as well. Um, and the last one, stand up if uh, your organization has an annual giving campaign or a holiday campaign. Okay, great. Good to see. So you're in the right room, um, and uh, yeah, great to see. Thank you for participating in that. It gives us a good idea of, of who's in the room with us. Um, and this is, this is us. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, thank you for attending the session. 
we've provided some handouts on the tables because we're going to go, we're going to use some technical terms during the presentation, and some of you might not be familiar with what they are. So we've left a, a handout on, on your tables so that you can uh, refer to those if you're uh, confused by some of the terms we're using. Um, we're also really hoping to keep 10 minutes free at the end of the session for some questions. So if you have any, uh, please write them down and keep them for the end. Um, and just before I start, just to give you a, a sense of us and our team, um, we're called the Digital and Creative Solutions Team at the Canadian Red Cross. We work within the philanthropy or fundraising department, um, but we also serve other business units within the organization. Um, we're really a cross-functional team of creative, digital marketing, and web development specialists. Uh, and we include specialists in user experience, uh, conversion rate optimization, uh, search engine rate optimization, email marketing, design, content, and a, a full-stack development team. So um, that's where we are now. But when we started doing holiday campaigns and di holiday digital campaigns, there was only really four or five of us in the team entirely. So um, just to give you a sense of you know, where, where the growth um, in our team has come from, and that you can do a lot of this work with a smaller team. So um, we know we're lucky to have that team and those specialists, but hopefully uh, wherever you're coming from, you can take some of these learnings uh, home with you today and, uh, and, and work them. Um, so just to give you a sense of, uh, as well, what we're going to be covering today, uh, these are our learning objectives. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, optimizing your holiday campaign. And for us, that's really about testing, testing, and more testing. Um, we're also going to discuss, uh, which is a big, a big theme and the big, basically the big topic for today, incorporating some academic and marketing industry research and insights into your campaigns and starting to use some of those sort of outside of fundraising tools uh, to bring them into fundraising and how you can uh, make them work for you. So specifically, we're, we're going to be talking about bringing in some behavioral psychology and behavioral insights into your work, uh, what split tests are and how you can introduce them to your, to your digital campaigns. Uh, we're going to run through uh, some examples of our past campaigns just to bring you some context of, of what we've done in the past and the learnings we've had from them. Uh, then we're going to get to how we came to this thing called pseudo-set framing. Uh, and then we're going to talk, uh, get more into detail around that uh, in our 2016 and 2017 holiday campaigns. And that'll include our hypotheses and our results and sort of how strategic planning and research and... Um, understanding how you're going to have to face some design challenges and creative challenges along the way. Um, so, yes, as everyone you know, uh, attested, everyone's standing up with uh, the, the gift shopping and, and doing annual campaigns. Um, just a bit of a refresher of why we do them, because I think as fundraisers, uh, you know, they get kind of played out. We see them over and over again. Um, but we do them for a reason. So these are, these are the opportunities that they provide. We can, we can use them to acquire, renew, and upgrade donors. Uh, they help build donor loyalty, commitment, and engagement. Uh, they help cultivate our donors and increase their giving levels. Uh, they build awareness for our cause or our brand. Uh, they really help develop some corporate partnerships. And, uh, and of course, capitalizing on the December giving rush is another reason we do them, especially the holiday campaigns. And for us uh, in the Canadian Red Cross, we, we use them as an opportunity to test because essentially it's a great testing ground because for that reason it's the same sort of concept or idea uh, and they're familiar to our donors uh, year after year. So 
Um, just before I move on, or we, we move into pseudoset framing in, in 2016, I'm just going to take us on a trip through some of our holiday sites past. This was pretty fun for us to kind of go through um, and realize uh, how far we've come and, and what we've learned over the years. So um, in 2012, this is really our initial run at a digital holiday campaign. And it kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of the stuff we're still doing. Um, you'll actually even recognize some of these elements when we talk later about our 2016-2017 campaign. But essentially, this was our introduction of symbolic giving. Um, and we all kind of understand what symbolic gifts are. Um, for us, we focused on a domestic uh, disaster response. So all the, all the gift items were focused around you know, responding to someone who'd been in a house fire or a, or a home flood or a larger scale uh, emergency. Um, so basically, the, the, the site operated in a way that you could pull, dr drag and drop these gift items into your gift box, and you could create uh, a whole gift box and, and make your donation that way. Um, what we learned from this year, uh, in 2012, was it helped us identify some of the more popular items uh, with our donors. And, um, and it was just, a, you know, we learned a lot just from introducing symbolic giving into the digital campaign that year. So moving into um, 2013, one of the things we wanted to try out a little bit, um, recognizing that the first year we were really focusing on symbolic gifts, and they were kind of like the headline item and the hero item, um, we wanted to, to try out sort of storytelling and getting more of the beneficiary and, and the impact involved. Um, so we, we sort of changed the, the landing page um, to focus on the individuals and the families that, that these gifts that donors give actually impact. So we introduced, a, and it was a more intricate, we don't have a video for it, but we have some videos for, for the other ones, but it was a little bit more of an intricate user experience. Um, you could kind of go down different paths and, and read the stories um, about these individual um, people and families. Uh, these were based on real stories of, of people the Canadian Red Cross had helped over the year. Um, and you could learn how these items actually impact these, these people. What we learned is that no one really wants that as a, as, a, you know, as a donor coming to a site around the holiday season, just wanting to make a gift and feel good about it. Um, our, our analysis showed us that the more people read, the less they converted. So, um, you know, we wanted to introduce a little bit of the storytelling, but what we learned was not everyone is really all that interested, and we, they wanted a little bit more direct path. So um, the other sort of feedback, which was more anecdotal on this one, was that it was a more clinical kind of feeling. It's very white. Um, it's not that warm and inviting. And so we took some of, this, some of these learnings into um, 2014. And we introduced a, a warmer feeling to the campaign, Again, we moved back into focusing on the gift items themselves rather than the uh, beneficiaries specifically. Each of these gift items is, is tied to an actual you know, part of our work, and we would highlight how those gift items actually you know, help people. Um, and so one of the things we learned from, from this site, we were still keeping a focus on domestic items, um, and we gave people the opportunity to kind of go down three streams of food, warmth, and comfort. Um, so we learned a little bit more about which of those sort of streams is, is more popular for our donors. Um, namely, food is just one that really resonates with people. So any gifts of food or, um, you know, groceries and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then the, the main learning that we, we gained from this year's campaign was that 
we should have a little bit more of a one-page approach that if we can really, really uh, shorten the experience for, for users, we can increase our conversion rate. Um, so that was a, a suggestion that we should move forward and try and figure out a way that we can get donors to really kind of see everything all at once. Um, so then moving into 2015, again, we're kind of going back and forth between the gift items as the focus and the, the need as the focus. So in 2015, we, we, a bit of a departure into a, a little bit of a darker landing page. Um, and this was also the year we introduced domestic gifts and international gifts. So this was one of the things we were going to try and test out, see if, um, I mean, it wasn't a test we deployed for this year, but we knew that we were going to l- learn something at the end based on people's preferences. Um, so again, this, this, uh, this site was really just a simple one, two-page scroll, so it felt like you were you know, on the same page, and there were really fewer paths to go down. Uh, it was a very direct kind of user experience. Um, so the, the main learning from this one is our, our conversion rate really jumped uh, on this experience. So it's kind of paved the way for what we've been doing ever since, um, and that leads into something uh, Doug will talk about is we, we now have different opportunities to test different things because we know that this is really working well uh, in terms of uh, conversion. Um, so before we get into pseudocept framing and, and 2016 and those campaigns, uh, Doug's going to jump up and give a bit of a testing 101 uh, and a background on testing and split testing. So just to... So I just want to touch on something you mentioned, Colin. So back on these past holiday campaigns, an important kind of point for us, we were, we were learning a lot through analytics. So we had our analytics, I'm just going to jump down here, um, had analytics set up to understand behavior of the site, but we actually weren't doing split testing. So all of our learnings was, you know, what items do people like and it, how's the conversion rate on the page? Um, but we didn't have two different versions that we were testing against each other. Um, and that's once we started to see that we were growing conversion rate year over year, we really, um, and we were growing our in-house conversion rate program as well, um, we wanted to jump more into split testing. So again, as Colin said, before we go into like 2016 campaign results, we just want to take a step back and talk a bit about what is testing um, and give a bit of a primer on that. So just by show of hands, you don't need to stand up this time, how many people are part of uh, a team or at least an organization that does split testing? Uh, it could be A-B testing, conversion rate optimization. It goes by a bunch of different names, but sort of have an active program or maybe have plans to, to implement one just by show of hands. Okay, so maybe like 30 40% of the room, um, which is great. That's awesome. You're on your way. For those that, that don't, um, hopefully today there's some information you can take away to, to get started on that. Uh, and we're always available afterwards as well if, if you want to dive deeper in, into how to get it set up because this is, this is a really important part of a program that can help grow revenue. Um, so just start with a basic definition of what split testing is. So split testing is, is a method to compare two or more versions of an email, a web page, an app. You can do it offline, direct mail piece, basically two, two assets um, against one another to see which performs better. Um, so you're essentially... Uh, testing these variants, and you're showing them to users at random. So at random is a really important element here. I'll go into that a bit more later. Uh, and then you apply statistical analysis to uh, determine which variation performs better for a particular conversion goal. So a lot of jargony kind of scientific well, testing words in there. Uh, also, if, 
if uh, any of the sort of uh, topics, you're not sure what some of the acronyms are or terms, just throw your hand up. We're, we're recording, so we'd have to give you a mic to ask the question, but just throw your hand up. I'll stop and kind of elaborate as well a bit more. So the starting point for a split test is a hypothesis. You need to start with a, a test hypothesis. And there's two ingredients uh, when you form a test hypothesis. You need first a proposed solution to a conversion goal. So conversion goal can be loosely defined. It could be a donation. It could be an event registration, course sign up. It could be getting someone to opt into an email. It could even just be like, how do we get someone to go to the next page of a process or the next step in registration or whatnot. It can be as sort of small or, or large as, as you want to define it. Um, and then the second one is the anticipated results that the solution will facilitate. So basically, that just is what metric are you trying to optimize? So are you trying to improve open rates? Are you trying to improve click-through rates um, you know, for direct mail, sort of uh, response rates as well? Um, and to break that down into sort of more human, layman terms, you're really just writing a sentence that is going to be similar to this. So I think changing this will have this impact. So we wanted to give you a few examples that weren't related to our holiday campaign to just sort of bring these hypotheses to life a bit. Um, so these are two uh, examples from the last year that we've tested out. So first one was in email. So we had a hypothesis that said, I think that including a gift amount reference in an email uh, can influence the average gift. So we had a match campaign last April um, where Basically, so the email was a bit longer than this, but we're just showing you the, the difference. The email is 99% the same. The only difference in the two versions, this was the control, uh, where we talked a bit more generically about the, you know, the match impact. So the copy here, it, it's a triple, uh, triple your impact, and it just kind of generically said that this campaign will allow you to triple your impact by giving a gift. Uh, the version on the right, we introduced just a dollar reference for what to bring to life what a triple impact might mean. So we just introduced these few extra words that said, you can turn $100 into $300 worth of impact. So of all the copy, just a few difference in, differences in words. And when we tested this, we saw there was a 35% lift in average gift. So those who got this email gave 35% more than those who got this email here. And we've sort of tested since then about like, you know, 100 into 300 or 75. Uh, my math's going to fail me right now into the <laughs> three times 75 there, 225. Uh, and it really does have an impact each time of, of putting a suggested amount, influencing the average gift. And, and this is an easy sort of one to, to test in your own, uh, for your own campaigns as well. So the second example was, this hypothesis is very wordy, <laughs> um, but it was on our donation pages. So I'll show you the designs and kind of talk through the hypotheses while showing it to you, but this was our control uh, donation page. We've had this donation page for a few years. It's very resistant to change. We've tested many different designs with it, and they, they have all, before this point, either kind of failed or just tied, which is, from a statistical difference, just been the exact same as the control, so we've kept this version. Um, but it's a long, it's a long uh, form scroll. I think the conversion rate was like 20%. So we know there's 80% of people that we can optimize with. Um, kind of a simple image, uh, simple copy. And one of the test designs we came up with this year was kind of breaking up the number of uh, fields, so breaking the, the input into a few different steps. So 
there's sort of three steps. You put your dollar amount, you put your information in payment. So instead of having to scroll down, it looks kind of shorter because you're just putting in small bits of information on each step. Um, and then basically making it much more of like a hero image um, and, and more copy focused as well. Um, and we thought that maybe implementing something like this uh, would uh, increase motivation to complete the form. Uh, and we tested this over two months, two plus months, and we saw there is a 17% increase in conversion rate. And that was at 99% significance. So we also tested a similar-ish design that had the same idea, um, but was a bit different layout. So we had three versions. That version had zero change over control. So um, I think a good lesson for us, one, is the idea itself, uh, the idea itself, you know, you might have something that works well, but when you design it, it actually doesn't have much of a difference. Um, but to kind of keep going, because there might be something that uses that same sort of hypotheses and just a slightly different design might actually get you an impact like this. And this is, if we, when we roll this out, the, you know, all things being equal, this will drive 17% more revenue over the course of a year. So it's quite, quite impactful for a program. So kind of going back into like the foundations of testing, there's a few things that are necessary to um, really get started and, and build up the, the core of a testing program. First one is a split testing tool. So there's a lot out there, uh, Optimizely, um, Google Optimize, Visual Web Optimizer, there's quite a lot of tools out there. Uh, often they'll give nonprofit discounts that are, that are uh, quite steep discounts if you ask for it. Um, if you're testing over email, often your email service provider also has split testing built into it, so um, sort of comes with the package. Um, but you'll need something to, baby, to basically be able to show the variance to people at, at random and to serve the test. Um, you'll need some sort of analytics implementation. So I've, we use Google Analytics. It's free. I'm, I'm sure most people uh, do use Google Analytics, but there are alternative abilities as well to collect data. Basically, you'll just need to be able to track behavior um, and campaign results so that you can do the analysis. An understanding of conversion rate optimization to avoid bias. So bias here... There's a few ways you can introduce bias into a test. So if you're not serving each variant to your donors or your users at, on a random basis, if there's some sort of like premeditated way of figuring out, of deciding who gets what, you're going to introduce bias. So this is probably the number one rule. Uh, every person who comes to see the test has to have a 50-50 chance, or if, it, if it's two versions, 50-50 chance, of seeing either, either version. Um, a few other ways you can introduce bias is if you are testing during a highly seasonal period for your organization or your sector. Uh, so for us, we generally don't do a lot of testing during the height of a disaster response because it just changes behavior so much. Um, and there's probably, if you Google sort of common pitfalls for CRO or split testing, you'll probably find a list of others. But it's good to sort of be aware of how you can, not on purpose, in, introduce bias and, and um, some issues into the test. So data analysis. Uh, you don't need to have a degree in stats. You don't need to be very good at math. You could tell off the top of my head I couldn't do a simple multiplication. But um, having someone who can analyze the data correctly is really critical. So someone who understands statistical significance and confidence intervals for different metrics uh, to make sure that the result that you're looking at actually is repeatable when you put it into market and not just based on coincidence or noise. Um, and also just understanding where to dig into the data, what sort of are red herrings in the data as well. Um, so basic understanding of analysis is, is really helpful. And then finally, sample size. So 
uh, put your test into market long enough to, to get a decent sample size. That donation page test we had in market for uh, yeah, two plus months. Often the tools that you use will tell you. You can set it up and they can tell you when you've reached uh, a statistically significant value. Uh, so you kind of take the math away from yourself. But even on email, if your email subscription list is a couple thousand people and you're trying to split test, oftentimes you won't get a readable result. Um, and it'll just, it just be coincidence. Uh, so you just need to make sure that you have enough sample size to, to read the test correctly. Cool. I'm going to pass it back to Colin to chat a little bit more about the 2016-2017 campaign. Um, I'm going to try and get through this a little bit quickly because I, I know we've got a lot still to cover. Um, but basically, I just wanted to introduce how we got to testing pseudoset framing. Um, and it, just to give you a sense, uh, you know, same as running the same ad campaign loses its effectiveness over time, the same tools deployed by nonprofits like free gifts or matching can also lose their effectiveness. So um, while not the only source of novel insights, academic research has increasingly focused on charitable behavior, um, offering several behavioral insights that uh, are ready to be widely deployed. So basically we can, you know, there's a lot of tests we all know as fundraisers that so-and-so's tried and so-and-so's succeeded at, and we've been taking those over the years, but a lot of us are now trying to look outside of the fundraising world, and, and that's why. Um, so going from 2012 to uh, last year having our, our holiday campaign published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology uh, was really kind of, it came about at a conference much like this, um, and it speaks to one of the points that's key. Uh, one of our senior directors was at a, a fundraising conference and saw a speaker from Harvard School of Business named Michael Norton, and he was talking about behavioral insights and some of this work and how behavioral insights are starting to, to creep into nonprofit and fundraising and that kind of stuff. So she just chatted with him, um, but she was aware of the work that we had been doing and our team had been doing, and she had an understanding of you know, the impact and value of, of testing. Uh, and so she was able to talk to him on, on that level, and, and, and he, uh, he had actually, in fact, seen our 2012 um, website, uh, holiday site, just in his research for some of his own work. And he was actually quite interested in the way we had set it up and the psychology of actually dragging and dropping gifts into a box. Um, it, it, he was extremely excited, like more excited than we could ever imagine. Um, and so he was really interested in talking to us a little bit more about our setup and you know, some of the other tests we've done in the past. And so within a few phone calls or emails, um, his team uh, and his group, his research group, had basically asked us to come up with a couple objectives for our holiday site. And they would come back to us with a few ideas for testing. So the next email that came back from, from their team was this, just not designed like this, but we gave them our two objectives and they gave us a few um, testing ideas. So right at the bottom of this uh, was a thing called pseudosets. And we all kind of had no idea. We'd never heard of that before. Um, so that's one we kind of probed and started asking a little bit more about. And uh, we got to a point where we, we came up with our testing hypothesis. Um, and it, it, for the 2016 campaign, it was by using pseudoset framing, we can increase the number of individual items donors select from our holiday gift array, so our selection of, of gifts. So that was the hypothesis. Um, but before we get into that, I'm going to go skip a slide. How many people know what that is or recognize 
one of these things. Oh, come on. Yeah, more people than that. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, so if you've ever been to a beer store, uh, and I think they have them in the LCBO, uh, they have these carriers, and they used to have six slots, and then there became eight slots. And, you know, for me, who goes to the beer store every once in a while, um, it became really strange to just put six beers in the eight-slot carrier. So I became an eight-beer drinker a week. Um, and so this was, this was a hy hypothesis that, that they had worked on. And when I talked about that journal, um, we were one of the studies. Uh, they actually worked with five other partners, and one involved this sort of concept of putting, putting four beers in a carrier as opposed to three. So this is a, a shopper who has three single beers in her cart, may be entirely satisfied with the, qu the quantity of her purchase, while a shopper who has three single beers in a four-pack is just a little bit more motivated to, to pick up one more. Um, so I'm just going to go back one slide, because this is sort of the hypothesis that is, is in the journal and specific to sort of our, our holiday campaign. So when, and it's very, it is scientific and academic, but I'll just read it because it's, it's worth it. Um, when facing an ongoing series of donation options, people stop whenever they subjectively feel like they've done enough. Uh, without a clearly desirable stopping point, this can produce a random donation patterns and depressed donation rates. However, people desire completion and will work hard to, to reach a complete feeling endpoint, even when it's completely arbitrary. So by grouping tasks uh, or donation units uh, into apparent sets or pseudo-sets, uh, we can cue people to think in terms of having set completion and motivating them to persist until exact donation sets have been fulfilled. So going back even to that email test, you know, the power of suggestion is very strong, and even more so the, the power of completing a set really reward, it, it activates the reward center of the brain. So this is sort of what we were working from when we started to, to work on the 2016 holiday campaign. Um, and so just to get into that, I'm going to uh, hand off to Emily, and she's going to talk a bit about sort of how we approached it uh, in reality, <laughs> basically. Thanks, Colin. Um, so with all the research and the planning and uh, just coming up with everything, we now wanted to bring it to life. So to do that, we established that we needed three versions of the site. So one would be the control. So since we saw the... Um, the great results from 2015, we wanted to use that as the control. And then we wanted to test, we wanted a version to test the pseudoset framing. And then we wanted a third version um, called the validator to help us prove the differences are the results of the pseudoset framing and not anything else. And before I jump into the sites, um, I'd like to talk about some of the design considerations. So something to think about, if you remember the 2015 site, that was the darker landing page and the two-page scroll, and having all the items and the ability to choose uh, your dollar amount all on one page. So we wanted to keep that UX, UI, and also we introduced the impact of reaching people at home and abroad, so we wanted to keep that as well. And then we need to also ensure the UX and UI was flexible enough to serve all three versions. And from the pseudoset framing research, we want to show donors completing a set or adding to a set makes a difference. And to encourage users to complete the set without guilt and provide them a sense of fulfillment from completing a virtual set so it's not the same as, you know, putting beer cans into a container. And then ensure the variations aren't too different so that we can isolate the impact. So with that. 
So this is the page one of the site. So we created uh, something that could work for all three versions. So we wanted to bring in the tangibility of the items, so we used photography of the items. And then we also wanted to start to introduce the idea of a set. So this worked for the control as well as the pseudoset version. And then we also had a few small animations just to encourage people to go to the next page. So I don't have a video of this, but the little arrow at the bottom animates and bounces. So this is the control version. And before I dive into some of the design considerations, how they were implemented, I'm going to point out two key features that we carried over from 2015. So this is the six items and um, just some of our CRC, Canadian Red Cross jargon. We just refer to this as items. And then we also have this, which we call the gift array um, or the gift box. And it's essentially just the dollar range selection. And then this is how the site works. So you click the items. And then so this one is not the pseudoset version. So it's just very similar to 2015. You just have the option to donate items or amount. So then this is the pseudoset uh, version. So we use the same UX UI, uh, as you can see the same layout. And we made it work by swapping out the gift box and adding a graphic element on the right that helped communicate the pseudoset framing and also bring in that impact of at home and around the world. And uh, we also still wanted to preserve the ability to enter your own amount. So we tucked it in the bottom there. And we also illustrated the pseudoset framing through copy. So we talk about the uh, Red Cross survival kit. So you're completing a kit and a few other design elements as well. So uh, the, the um, user experience of checking off the items make you feel like you're checking off a list. And then, so we encourage people to uh, complete the, the, the kit with that animation of the globe there. So with every item, it shows you the progress. And so that would hopefully encourage people to want to complete the whole list. And then we also have tooltips up top as well uh, to let people know what impact they're making and, and, continue, and ask them to continue to complete the kit. And then another design consideration was to actually fit all that onto mobile as well. Um, so we obviously couldn't put the globe and everything and, and ensure that it was legible. So we changed the globe to a progress bar on mobile. So then the last version is the validator. So we wanted to make sure it wasn't the uh, design of the globe that uh, impacted the results. So we created a version that looked very similar to the pseudoset version, but it actually didn't have um, a set completion. And as you can see, we kept all three versions fairly similar in design so that design wouldn't um, buy, create a bias. And with that, I'm going to hand off to Doug to talk about the results. Cool. Oh, you just, oh I have the mic. Thanks. Um, and just on, so the validator, because that sort of a, it's not actually a term we use often. It was something that we're, we kind of came up with to try and clarify uh, the third one. The reason why we use the validator as well is, um, so we removed a few elements. We changed a few elements. And often in split testing, you're really trying to just change one to get a result. So we use this third one to know if, this introduction of the pseudo set and the globe was the real impact, or because we removed the gift box and gift box 
as I'll kind of go into, really has a big uh, impact. So we, we needed to tell what was the true impact, and we kind of had this third point to triangulate the data a little bit. Got that reference in there. <laughs> um, so when we looked at the, uh, the overall results, I mean, the first thing that we're always looking at is conversion rate. So the three different sites, they actually had identical conversion rates. So there's some differences here, but they're not statistically uh, significant, so it's basically identical. Uh, a little surprising just because some of the interactions were pretty different for the three different sites, but this wasn't, if we go back to like a testing hypothesis, this wasn't the metric we were trying to optimize, so more interesting than, than kind of working with our hypothesis. The metric we were trying to move the needle on was average gift. Uh, and what we saw uh, on aggregate was that the control actually had a higher average gift than the tests, both tests. And this was st statistically significant. Um, and so on like high level looking at this, we are like, okay, uh, uh, conversion rate's the same, and average gift is actually higher for the control. Like this is kind of de defeating and deflating a little bit. Um, but this speaks to before about like the fundamentals and what you need to kind of get going. If we just look at aggregates and look at high level averages, you might draw the wrong conclusion. So we dug a little deeper to see if there is more insight within the data other than just a straight average. Um, and what we started to look at was gift, sort of the gift box or cash gifts uh, versus those who chose items. And the average gift of those two behaviors or those two sort of sets of donors, donors who wanted to actually interact with items and, and pick items out versus those who just wanted to give a cash gift was quite different. So almost 50% lower for those who want to give items versus those who want to give cash gifts. So we then were like, okay, we need to split the analysis between these two groups to kind of understand what's happening with these, these different segments. So a few, uh, once we dug into the insights, a few things stood out. So one, uh, the control design, as we said, like this, this gift box was very prevalent in design, and we used that space for the globe in the, in the test version. Uh, so those who saw the control version were actually almost 30% more likely to use cash gifts than those who saw the pseudoset version. So right there, that's going to drive up, um, because we saw that the average gift was higher for those who are giving cash gifts, 30% more people are giving that. We can get a sense, okay, well, that's part of why average gift for the, you know, overall, the control was higher than the test. Um, and then we also saw that there was a 12% increase in those using this version that gave over $75. So the reason for that when we kind of looked at all this is that with the, and sorry if it's small for those at the back, but above the gift box there, there's sort of a gift array, suggested amount, $75, $150, $250, $500, and then an opportunity to put in your own amount. Um, and for the test version, we actually didn't have space to give a gift array. We kind of had to tuck the choose your own amount down below. It also is just one input box. You, there's no suggested value. So because this version had some sort of suggested values, like it, it changes, a th the, I guess, the thoughts for donors of what is sort of an expected gift. So $75 was the lowest amount on the gift array. So we've kind of anchored them into thinking that $75 might be a good sort of minimum gift to give. Um, so we increased average gift for those who use that just from having a suggested amount. So those two combined kind of gives an idea, okay, this is, this is actually why the average gift for that test or that control version was higher um, and, and maybe not just like a failed test to, to start with. So that's great for 
the gift box, but we were what we really wanted to know is, okay, what about items? The whole testing hypothesis was really like, how does, uh, how do we, how do pseudosets work and people selecting more items? And the results of this were way, way higher than we ever expected. So we saw that the pseudoset version increased six item checkouts by almost 500%. So in the two test versions, where we didn't have any reference to pseudosets, those who selected items Maybe about 3% between the two uh, gave six items. Most people gave one item. Uh, for the pseudoset version, 21% of donors gave six items. And what was also kind of interesting was that uh, going into it, I thought maybe we would move people who are going to give one item, move them to two, maybe three, move two items to three or four. Like we might maybe just shift the distribution a bit. But this middle area actually stayed almost identical. We took people that went we're going to give one item, and we move them all the way to six. So kind of maximum impact there, and just the, the size of that impact at 500% really surprised us. So kind of wrapping up the gift box insights and the pseudoset insights, there's a few takeaways and key lessons. So one, pseudosets, they're great. Uh, we should look at how we can use those in other mediums, maybe in donation pages, direct mail. How can we leverage this insight? Um, the other one is the gift box itself is such a critical success factor for holiday campaigns, or at least our holiday campaign. I'd encourage you to test it in yours as well. Um, it actually accounted for over 70% of our revenue was people who just wanted to give a cash gift. So as we're building holiday campaigns and as you're building holiday campaigns and e-shops, it's really fun and exciting to put items there and, and kind of build a shop and have people go through that shopping experience. But there's a whole group of donors that just want to be, have a simple experience, put in a cash gift, and get in and get out. And it drives a lot of revenue, average gift as well as take up. So make sure you're not losing that opportunity from your own holiday sites as well. Kind of an, a bit of a no-brainer, but something we proved is that a prominent gift box means more people use it. Um, and then also the suggested giving levels really has an impact in average gift too. So, Kind of looking at all these takeaways from 2016, we had a bit of a built-in hypothesis for 2017 because we we're always wanting to keep testing and improving on uh, what we learned from the last year. So for 2017, uh, this testing hypothesis or objective for the campaign then became how do we kind of balance both of these insights? So how do we take the benefit of pseudoset and the impact of pseudoset while also trying to increase average gift for those who just want to give a donation, fit in a gift array, um, and maximize revenue. So the design, we kind of gave that challenge to Emily's team to design, and this is the version we came up with. So we moved the globe design to the top, so it became a progress bar, and we felt co comfortable with this design going in because uh, on mobile in 2016, as you saw, there is a progress bar on mobile, and it actually worked. Like that same 500% was seen on mobile as well, so yep, we've, we felt comfortable with this. And then we used that space for the globe, and we were able to build a gift array. We were able to kind of paint the picture that you have two options. You can give items, or you can put an amount that suits your budget um, and make it kind of easy for people to tell what's happening on the page. Now, we don't have um, slides on the data here. We didn't have time to go through it. But overall, we were able to better balance those. So we got a lot more take up of, of gift box uh, donors. Uh, we were able to preserve the impact of pseudoset, it wasn't as strong. So we tested this against the 2016 version, like uh, split tested it. 
it wasn't as strong an impact. So our takeaway from that is that the design, like how we actually show people what complete looks like and what not complete looks like really does matter. So, and even, on, even by device, because that progress bar worked great for mobile. It didn't work for desktop as well. It was still, I think it was like 14% instead of 21% uh, in terms of six item checkouts. Um, so we kind of will continue to tinker with that and try to learn more of, you know, why does a globe feel more complete? I guess maybe pie charts feel more complete to, to people than a progress bar. Um, but something that for your own challenges too, like there's different ways of displaying what complete looks like. Cool. So stepping back from like holiday camp, actually I'll stop there. I can see if there's any questions on, because there's a lot to take in there and then kind of end on the key takeaways. But if you have any questions, just because I know it's a big, yeah. Just, just need the mic. Yeah. What online giving platform are you guys using to create the forms? So these ones were not built in donation pages. Uh, we're using Engaging Networks for our donation pages. Um, these ones were built as a microsite. What we're actually testing this year is building a microsite such as the one you see, and then trying to build that same pseudo-set impact in the donation page itself to see if do we even need a microsite. Um, and Engaging Networks, they, um, they have the ability to code all that in there, so we may end up moving away from like a holiday site and just putting it, uh, that sort of interaction in the donation page. So if you're doing that, are you having the microsite and then moving people over into Engaging yeah, Networks so to process? Exactly, yeah. So there's a bit of like, they, once they click complete donation there, they go over to the donation page. So we're looking at ways of trying to bring in that, the donation page into the site to kind of reduce that friction there. Yeah, that's a good question. Any other questions on like how pseudo stuff? Yeah. I was just curious how you came to the $200 value for the completion <laughs> yeah. and if we've done any testing around that value. Yeah, it's a good question. We uh, just picked it. So you got to, sometimes you, you got to pick a value. So we picked six items because four felt like too little and eight felt like too much. Like it's, this is where science is out the window. Um, and we picked 200 because it, we looked at our average gift from the year prior, like the 2015 version, and I think the average gift was like 145. So we're like, okay, let's try to be a bit more ambitious, get to 200. Um, in future, we'd like to test, you know, does eight items work, does four, mm -hmm. does this year we're using 220 as our amount. Okay. Um, so it's something to, to then test, because there's nothing saying that that's the right amount of gifts and the right sort of full value. Any other questions just on pseudoset? Cool. So um, takeaways just overall for, I guess, your organization or your team to really try to embed testing, a testing mentality into your programs is one, it's really important to gain just buy-in. I know it's kind of jargony, but uh, to gain buy-in for a, a testing and experimental culture. So when Colin talked about like how we even got introduced to Michael Norton and Harvard in the first place, we had a colleague who knew enough about what we were doing. Um, she worked on the corporate side. She's, she, does, she didn't know in depth about testing, but she knew enough about what we were working on. Um, and we kind of shared that knowledge and she was bought into it so that she could go and approach uh, Michael Norton and talk to, about our program and get enough interest from him to come talk to us. So just sort of having, I guess, a mentality of experimentation um, and, and sort of the opportunity to to fail in a sense when you're testing is, is really important. Um, expanding your network, so often we were looking at just nonprofit examples for our own inspiration. 
there's a lot of really neat testing that's happening, obviously, in for-profit. Um, so try to look for inspiration outside of our own networks, our own um, sector as well. And, and if, if possible, you know, sometimes there's a lot of value as well in hiring outside of fundraising. So a lot of our team comes from a marketing background or a design background, depending on the roles, uh, rather than a, a fundraising background. And it's, it's a good complement to have fundraisers and just direct marketers as well on your team if possible. Um, look at existing campaigns to see what's you know, either low-hanging fruit or suitable for testing. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to go out and spend a lot of money on web dev and design. There's probably an email campaign that you could think of to just throw in you know, some extra copy and test or um, optimize your, your own campaigns that you're already sending out. Basically, every campaign you send out is an opportunity to test, so you don't need to necessarily come up with all these new ideas to, to get started. And then the next two kind of mentioned, so under, understand the fundamentals of testing and undertaking proper analysis. Uh, and the last one is probably maybe the most important is just is be patient. So a lot of tests fail. And a fail, like a failure could mean a tie. So like a tie, you send two things out, it doesn't be control. I mean, in CRO language, I guess that's a, that's a fail. But most, you know, a lot of tests, you don't hit on the right, the right uh, hypotheses right away, or as I said before, the right design right away. Uh, but just because they fail doesn't mean they don't have value. So every test that you put out there gives you at least some more insight in your donors of what works and what doesn't work. Um, so even if it takes like your first 10 tries to get a significant result, keep, keep going because you're kind of digging one step closer to maybe what the issue is. I, I think a good analogy is even when you're doing like medical tests, if you're getting an x-ray and the x-ray comes back and doesn't show anything, okay, you, you've ruled out that the x-ray is an issue and then maybe you get an MRI and that rules out some more things. So the more you can just rule out what works and what doesn't to motivate your donors is, is super valuable. So kind of just keep going and have a tough skin with it. Uh, cool. We put our contact information there in case you guys do want to ask us questions after. And of course, we're available for questions now and um, kind of throw it to the floor to see if there's any questions or comments. Cool. Yeah. So I was just wondering uh, if you, so all the sort of items on the uh, shopping cart there, did you test into those and say, you know, a teddy bear is working and we're going to cost it at this amount? Or is that all sort of stuff that comes from your more program team? Like, yeah. hey, here's a blanket, here's how much it costs us, we want to promote this the, this year. The price points come from the program team, so we will play around with them a little. Like if, the, I mean, the price is, the cost is what it is. Sometimes if we are trying to get a, uh, more variable gift array. Well, so for groceries, we may change it to a week of groceries versus, or a month of groceries if we're trying to use multipliers there. Um, the items themselves, that's kind of like goes back to what Colin was saying, 2012. Like we didn't split test the items, but we've just seen year over year what people are choosing. So um, for our audience, we know sometimes it's based on what's happening out in the world. Sometimes it's just based in, again, people like giving food during the holidays as well. So we have an understanding of what kind of works well for us, but we've not split tested different items yet. That would be another test on our. Uh, I just had a question about uh, how do you store the uh, knowledge you gain? Like, is it like uh, as an organization yeah. from all these tests? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I wouldn't say we're the best at that. So mm -hmm. we oftentimes they're like in a PowerPoint, in a shared drive somewhere or we email it to someone we think is interested. So I think what we need to get better at is, is actually having a sort of a shared library uh, of 
this kind of information. Um, we've been talking about even like even for email, past email campaigns and tests, like it relies on memory or me digging through my inbox from two years ago to look at what the campaign was. So uh, we are. Would, if you have tips later as well, we'd love to hear some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we've talked about like developing a, a wiki or just like an online repository somewhere, but we've not really built it yet. Um, but yeah, I think it's a lot of organizations like things sit in PowerPoint sometimes and in, in, in your own drive or on a shared drive, and it's it's important to get it out there. And sometimes it just sits there, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think uh, for us, like even though we're saying you know get buy-in from other departments and leadership and stuff like that. We tend to take our analysis and sort of keep it to ourselves, not to hide it from people, but it's just we tend to be the most interested in it. So we'll really like have a good meeting and find out what's interesting, and it might inform like a test for the next year or an upcoming email campaign. But maybe one thing we could probably do better is just translating it and, and presenting it to other, other departments in ways that will benefit whatever kind of work they're doing. Um, but yeah. I assume that you'll also test uh, the digital ads. And there are a whole load of different tests. So how do you well, firstly, the question, do you all test? And then secondly, how do you all manage the 101 tests there? So it's not like so many tests. You really don't know what's happening, what's working, and yeah. how do you keep it to the manageable level? Do you all use any uh, like machine learning technology to do multivariate tests to kind of manage that, get more insight? Are you looking into something like that into the future? Yeah, good question. We haven't used, we haven't done multivariate testing um, yet. It's something that it would be great to explore. There's a lot of uh, tools in, uh, in that area. Um, we generally are kind of testing one, like we have one test in market at a time, more or less. So we might have a couple if they are very different, like if they're not part of the same funnel, we may test something for first aid course signups and something on the donation page at any given time. But our team is also for testing, like it's fairly small. There's one person running our conversion rate optimization program. Um, so we generally have like a pipeline of ideas and a pipeline of hypotheses. And we may have a couple tests that we're developing and one in market. And it's sort of like a slower pipeline. But um, yeah, we just, we don't want too much, in, as you're saying, we don't want too much in market because you may influence behavior without knowing it. Yeah. Oh, just need a mic. <laughs> What are you doing this year? So this year, uh, we actually like went back and forth uh, on the test hypothesis. So originally, we were going to test, should we sort of split this like gift box donor and item donor from the start and like give people the option on like page one before they even get into it, and then really bring to life those elements differently? Um, so we started to explore that. We ended up basically, go to your question earlier, we ended up with a testing idea of can we just build the pseudo set interaction and all of this into our donation page itself without sending to a microsite? So our page two design, like the whole pseudo set and gift box, we're building one version in our Engaging Networks platform and one version on a campaign microsite, um, and to see if we can just send them to donation pages. If it ties, for us, that's actually going to be a win this year because sending, like we have a whole page one design uh, that has that we spend time on art direction and concept and all of that. And if we can, we don't need to do that if donors don't care what the, you know, the wrapping is of the campaign. So similar as Emily showed, like the layout of the items and all that, we save design content time, dev time, 
Uh, so it'll be a win if, if the donation page just ties or, yeah. Which is kind of counterintuitive because it puts, we're like, oh, holiday campaigns actually, <laughs> we don't need the design, the concept <laughs> like that we've been working on for so long, but it will end up saving a lot of time for us and we can focus on other things. Great, I think we're at okay. noon anyway, so thank you so much everybody for attending yeah. and your questions. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, uh, and thank you to Doug, Emily, and Colin for sharing their knowledge today. Uh, thank you to Deloitte for sponsoring this session, and please do fill out your evaluation forms, uh, either on paper or in the app today. Your next step is lunch, but uh, I'm sure the three of them here will be here to answer questions if you have any. Thanks. <laughs>